As we prepare for the lesson this morning, let's read from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Tries to press us into its mold and conform us to its ways. But God calls us to be holy, to be different. Being different means letting God transform every area of your life. Are you ready to be different? Are you ready to be different, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, rather than conforming to the ways of this world? We're talking about what Scripture has to say to us about being different, about standing out from the world. A little over a year ago, at the end of 2021, right before 2022 started, USA Today did a huge survey asking people their perspective on the year that they had just finished up. Do you remember 2021? What would you say about that year? How would you categorize that year? How would you describe it? Well, in the survey, only about 14% of people had something positive to say about 2021. Instead, they used words like, it was awful, it was terrible, it was chaotic, it was confusing, it was challenging. On and on, all of these negative words. But then they said, okay, now look ahead to 2022. What is your perspective about the year that is coming up? And a few people said they were worried. A few people said they were nervous. But by and large, the, the biggest answer, the most common answer, almost half of the respondents said this about the year ahead, that they were hopeful. They were hopeful. Now, I don't think the survey delved into this, but if if I would have been doing the survey, I would have asked a follow-up question. Tell me why. Tell me why you're hopeful for 2022. And probably would have gotten answers like, well, it looks like the pandemic is winding down or at least getting to a controllable state, and so I think things will get better. I'm hopeful things will get better. Others may have said, you know, the the economy's got to swing upwards, it'll it'll get better, that'll improve, so that'll make everything better. Or maybe, you know, the government's going to finally step up, or the government's going to do this, or they're going to do that, or maybe it's uh, the weather's going to be better, or we're hoping for the stock market to improve. There would be this, this idea that something was going to get better, and therefore, I am hopeful that things get better. But isn't there a difference between being hopeful and being filled with hope? Being hopeful says, I I think things might get better. I want them to get better. I look forward to them getting better. That's being hopeful. But when you are filled with hope, that means you are grounded in something that cannot be taken away that you have a sense of assurance that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in your life, that there is someone that is in control of things, someone who has your best interest in mind, someone who is going to make all things new. You see, that's the difference between being hopeful 
and being filled with hope. And one of the greatest possessions we have as followers of Jesus, one of the most profound blessings that we possess is a sense of deep and abiding hope. And if you are a follower of Christ, you have that hope, whether you know it or not. I hope that you do know it. And if you have this sense of hope, let me ask you that same follow-up question, why? What is the reason for the hope that you have? Where does that hope come from? That's such an important question. And that question reveals so much about you and me. It reveals so much about what is most important to us. It reveals what is the guiding force in our life. What are our highest values? What is the reason for your hope? In his first letter to the Christians who were living in the first century in a day and a time where the cultural moment was so hostile, it was so toxic for Christians, these men and women were being persecuted they were being pushed to the margins of society. In fact, throughout his letter, Peter calls them exiles, strangers, foreigners, people who know they do not belong in the prevailing culture of the day. And yet, Peter, as he is inspired by the Spirit of God, writes to them saying, hang on, don't be surprised when life gets difficult. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to face persecution. And he says, amidst all of that pushback, be ready. Be ready to give the answer when someone asks you for the reason that you have hope. Let's look at our text today, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. As we read this, think about not only those first century Christians facing persecution, but internalize his words as though he were saying this directly to you. 1 Peter 3, verse 13, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And throughout this letter, Peter is going to remind them that persecution and suffering in difficult times, they come with the territory of following Jesus. If you decide to take up your cross and follow Jesus, don't expect an easy life. In fact, he goes on to say in this text here that Jesus himself faced suffering. But it was suffering for a higher purpose and a higher calling. And then Peter explains one of the great paradoxes of kingdom living. And that is, if you suffer for doing good, then know that you are, what word does he use? You are blessed. If you suffer for doing good, know that you are blessed. Now, at least in my own logical thinking, suffering and blessing are not tied together. When I suffer, when life is tough, I do not feel blessed. 
On the other hand, when I feel like, boy, God is really blessing me, things are going great, I am far removed from suffering. But here, Peter says, no, when you suffer because of your faith, because you proclaim faith in Jesus, that is a blessing. Consider that a blessing. And when you do that, don't give up. But he says, continue to revere Christ as Lord. That word revere means to set apart. In fact, your version may say set apart. Set apart Christ as Lord. It means to consecrate, to make holy. And so scripture tells us that even when we face pushback from a culture, even when people don't get us, don't understand us, don't like us because of our faith, even when we don't get the opportunities we think we should or that others are getting because we are people of faith, he says, just know that you are blessed and keep setting apart Christ as Lord. Lord means he is over all of your life. Set apart Christ as Lord over everything in your life, every relationship, every resource, every decision, every conversation. You see, when Jesus is Lord over everything, everything belongs to him, submits to him. His reign is over all of your life. Maybe think about it this way, kind of a simple way to think about it. On your phone, you probably have photos, right? You have a photos app, you take pictures, and they just keep going into that, into that photo app. And you probably have hundreds, maybe thousands of pictures. It'd be kind of interesting to see who has the most pictures on their phone. I heard someone having 20,000 pictures on their phone. I didn't even know a phone could hold that many pictures. You have all those pictures. Now let's say, because you love Jesus, there's a picture of Jesus on your phone. Okay, go with me here. There's a picture of Jesus on your phone. And sometimes you see that picture when you're scrolling through or the phone gives you some kind of little slideshow of memories or you're looking for another photo. And, oh, there's the photo of Jesus. I remember that when I gave my life to him. And yeah, you see, that's, that's just a casual part of your life. Jesus is a part of your life, but he isn't Lord over your life. He's just one image among many images that make up your story and your life. But when Jesus is Lord over your life, when you set apart Christ as Lord, that means you make him the wallpaper. <laughs> you know, you have to decide what picture goes on your wallpaper, right? Now, some of you probably just have whatever it came with from the factory. It's just a black screen. Uh, how do you give this to someone younger than you and they can put a picture on there, okay? But for most of us, we think we want, we want a good picture there. Some, we want a picture of the people that are most important to us or a trip that we took or some experience that means a lot to us. And every time I turn my phone on, I see that picture. Jesus becomes your wallpaper. Set apart Christ as Lord. He's not just a part of your life. He rules over every part of your life. You don't just think about Jesus casually, occasionally. He has a prominent place in your life. He is Lord over your life. So let's take a closer look at what it means when Jesus is Lord over your life. There are some implications for that. And let's really hone in on verse 15. I want us to look at a couple of different words there that Peter uses. Verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Very practical instruction there. 
First of all, I want you to notice the absolutes used there. Always, always be ready, always be prepared to give an answer to whom? To everyone, to everyone. Now we tell married couples, when you're discussing things, you know, you're having those discussions that we don't call fights because that sounds bad. Don't use absolutes. We say never, which is an absolute. Never use absolutes. Why? Because an absolute says something about your character. If I say to someone, you're always late. Well, first of all, they're going to get defensive. They're going to think of a time they weren't late. Right? Because I'm saying something about them, about their character. That's different than saying, you know, last night you were late. Okay, that's an event. But when I say you're late or you're lazy or you never help around the house or you're always doing this or always doing that, it says something about your character. Here, Peter uses absolutes. He says, always. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone. It must be part of our character, of who we are. It's not just, oh, if I think of it, yeah, I, I should probably mention Jesus. I should probably mention my faith. I should probably say something to ch about church or invite them to church. If I think of it, it didn't really come up. He says, always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Jesus, remember, he's the priority. He has the preeminent place in our life. He's not just one image among many. When he is at the forefront of your mind, and at the center of your heart, you can't help but to speak of him to whomever asks or seems interested. And then look at that word hope. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. This instruction makes a couple of assumptions, doesn't it? First of all, it assumes that we have hope. And it also assumes that other people can see your hope, can witness your hope, that your hope is evident to those around you. Would you say that's true about you? Have you ever had anyone ask you, hey, why do you seem so hopeful? Why do you seem to not be so discouraged by all the stuff going on in the world? You can't give a reason for your hope if you don't have hope. You can't give a reason for your hope if no one can see hope in your life. You see, hope should overflow from a deep place within us. As the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it is an anchor for our souls. It means it holds us steady and secure. No matter what winds and waves and storms are happening, we have hope as this anchor for our soul. And it's so central to our being and to our identity and to our calling that people can't help but to see, hey, you're different. There's something different about you. The sense of hope overflows from us. Hope is not an undercover agent in our lives. It is something that should be evident to all. And then that word answer. Be prepared to give an answer. That word literally means to give a testimony. When I think about testimony, I think about a, a court, a courthouse or a court setting. And just imagine for a moment that you were called out from the crowd to come up to the witness stand to give testimony. You walked up there and the first thing they had you do is, you know, put your hand on the Bible, you're going to tell the truth. You take the stand and then all eyes are on you and someone asks you, listen, you need to give an answer. 
Give the court testimony. Why do you have hope? What would you say? Would you have a good answer? He says, be prepared. Look at that word. Be prepared to give an answer. Some of you know what it's like to be prepared to give an answer. You've crammed for finals, right? Now that spring sings over, it's time to go back to class, start studying again. That's right. <laughs> Clearly a professor that just amen that. Some of you know what it's like to prepare to give an answer. You've sat for the bar exam or the CPA or you've gotten ready and prepared yourself for a big job interview. You know what that's like. But maybe you also know what it's like not to be prepared. Now, I remember a time when I was not prepared to give an answer. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, I was in Toastmasters, you know, the little club that teaches you how to give speeches. That's right. When all the other kids were outside riding their bikes and playing ball, my parents put me in a speech-giving class. Where would that lead me? <laughs> and I remember on this one particular day, it was Table Topics Day, and that's when they write down a question or a topic on slips of paper. You draw one of the slips of paper, and then you have just a few minutes to gather your thoughts, and then you're supposed to stand up in front of everyone and speak about this topic that you just drew. So on that day, I drew my slip of paper and I read it. I read it in my mind and it said, if you were campaigning to be president of the United States, what would your platform be? And I had to read it again. And I started panicking. At 12 or 13, I had never thought about being president of the United States. I gotta tell you at my age now, I haven't thought about being president of the United States. The thought never crossed my mind, but what's even worse is I had no idea what platform meant. <laughs> no clue. You see, the truth is, I was the kid outside riding my bike and playing ball. When all the other kids were inside reading and studying, I was the one outside. I had no idea what that meant. And I knew that I was about to have to stand up in front of the whole group and say something about that topic. And the more I thought about it, the more nervous I got. The more I started to panic and I started sweating. You know that sweat you get? I started sweating, I started getting nervous, and then I remembered someone said in class one day, if you don't know much about the topic you've been assigned, then you talk about something that is related and try to make a connection. I thought, hmm, all right. Today I'm going to talk to you about platforms. Some platforms are made out of wood. <laughs> Some platforms are made out of concrete, I suspect. Some platforms are made out of other stuff. <laughs> I don't know what I said, but I was not prepared. And I do remember how I felt. And it was an awful feeling. He says, be prepared to give an answer. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to give an answer? You see, this is where some of us get nervous Oh man, someone's going to ask me something and I'm not going to know what to say. I'm not going to know the answer to their question. They're going to ask me to name the judges of the Old Testament. I don't know. I don't even know where to start. I didn't even know there were judges. I heard that one time. But someone's going to ask me, where did God come from? I don't know. I, that's a good question. I never thought about that. They're going to ask me something. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to know the answer. They're going to ask me about dinosaurs. What do I say about dinosaurs? How does the Holy Spirit work? I have no idea. I and, and we get afraid, don't we? 
and we start sweating, we get nervous, we panic, and so we just remain quiet. He says, be prepared to give an answer. You see, you don't need to know all the answers. You need to know the answer. And we have the answer. This is an open book test. Look right there, back at verse 15, the very first part. We talked about it just a moment ago. That phrase, revere Christ as Lord. Set apart Christ as Lord. Here's the answer. When someone asks you to give an answer for the reason that you have hope, here's the answer. Because Christ is Lord. That's it. Christ is Lord. And then in his letter, Peter goes on to explain, and this is a pretty good outline. We don't have time right now, but, but maybe study this outline sometime. Just kind of think over, as you read 1 Peter, what Peter is saying about Jesus. He says, first of all, Jesus lived. He walked on this earth. He can relate to us. He lived a perfect life, but he died as well as a part of God's plan. He was crucified. That passage says he bore our sins, but he didn't stay in the grave. By the power of God, he rose from the grave and he ascended to heaven where he has authority, the text says, over all powers. He reigns supreme. And one day he will return. And Peter tells us why he's coming back to take with him those who belong to him, to be with God for all of eternity. You see, those phrases, those eternal truths, those answers, those are the building blocks of hope and faith. It's not a speech that we memorize. It's not a test we cram for. It's just a part of us. It's a truth that is the truth our lives are built upon. It is our spiritual DNA. So when someone says something about faith, this is just what comes out. Let me tell you about Jesus. He is Lord of my life. Let me tell you what that means. Let me tell you why he is Lord of my life. He lived. He died. He rose. He has authority over everything. He's coming back. He's taking us to be with God forever. In this series, we're talking about being different. This is a very different answer than what someone in the world might give when they are asked about their version of hope, which is often tethered to the things of this world, like economies and stock markets and jobs and careers and possessions and politicians and governments. But see, our hope, it's not in wealth. It's not in wisdom. Our hope isn't in social standing or success. Our hope is not in a government or an economy or a stock market or even in democracy. Our hope isn't in what we know, what we can prove, what we can do, or what we can accomplish. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. That's where our hope is. And that's the answer to the question. That's the reason. And any other answer is inadequate and falls way short. Any other answer reveals only an inferior object of false hope. Last year, one of our somewhat new members here at Edmond was diagnosed with cancer. 
Some of you know Paul Cowdery, Paul and Belinda. They've been here about a year and a half, two years. I asked Paul, can I, can I tell part of your story today? He said, sure, if it can help someone, that's, that's fine, that's great. Paul and I have been having a conversation over the past several weeks and months. I've been asking him how he's doing and what's going on with his cancer. He's battling cancer right now. And I want to read something to you that he wrote me. And I want you to listen as I read these comments. Listen for the voice of hope. A hope that stands out from anything this world has to offer. This is what he said. He said, several months ago, prior to my diagnosis, I agreed to teach our Bible class in December. And the lesson revolved around Jesus as the good shepherd and the raising of Lazarus. He said, the teacher always gets the most out of the lessons because of all the prep work. And as the test started to come in, I could not have been better prepared than I was to receive and deal with the bad news I got. He said, we serve a father who not only is close to us and groans for us, but has also prepared us for these bad news days. It's interesting what Paul says there is, he wasn't just prepared to give an answer, he was prepared to get an answer. And it was an answer that he didn't want, that none of us want. He goes on to say, it's my will to fight this cancer until either it's in remission or the Lord says it's time to come home. And he cites Philippians 1.23 where the Apostle Paul says, I'm torn, I'm torn between the two. I want to stay here and continue the work of Christ, but I also want to depart and be with Christ. And then Paul writes this, and I put this on the screen. Either way, he says, I will be blessed. I will try to be the best example for others in that I don't fear death. It may even help start a discussion about the gospel. You talk about different. Facing his diagnosis and his treatment, the unknown and uncertain future, he says, my faith is in the hands of God. And if somehow my journey can open the door to a conversation about my Lord, then so be it. Always be prepared to give a reason, to give that answer, to talk about, point people to the source of hope, a hope that sustains you, a hope that anchors your soul, that no matter what happens, you know God is in control. You see, that's real hope. That's hope that doesn't wither away under the scorching heat of the trials and the tribulations of this life. And that's an example of someone who's prepared to give an answer for that hope. That's different. That's a lot different. And that's the message we are sent to tell the world. And doesn't our world need hope? <laughs> our world desperately needs hope. So wherever we go and whatever we do, we are prepared to tell others, to point others to the source of true hope, and that is Jesus. But I want you to notice how he says to do that. Back in that verse 15, he says to do this with gentleness and respect. Now, why does Peter include that detail? He didn't have to say that. Why does he include that detail there? You see, I, I think... Sometimes when, when we have the answer and someone else doesn't have the answer, we can come across as arrogant. We can come across as proud. 
is condescending, even judgmental. And he says, don't do that. Just because you know the answer and others may not know the answer yet, don't be a know-it-all. Knowing and being a know-it-all are two different things. Gentleness, love, compassion, respect. That's the word he uses. You see, those things open the doorway to make a connection with people, to show them the love of Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus, to point them to Jesus. The goal is not to show the world that I'm right. The goal is to point them to Jesus who can make them right with God, just like he has for us. Today is Commission Sunday. It's a great opportunity for us to renew our commitment to take this message of hope to the world. It's a great opportunity for us to be reminded of the commission that our Lord has given us to go into the world and make disciples. And so today we acknowledge what God is doing and we are so grateful for what God is doing through us, in us, and in many ways for us and for his kingdom by using us to take this message of hope, this word of hope to a world that desperately needs to hear it. We have missionaries all over the world, men and women who are partners, ambassadors, in sharing the gospel. They are on their front lines, ready, prepared to speak about the Lord, to speak about their hope. And God is doing great things through them. And I think it's worth the time to remind you who our missionaries are so that you can put a face with a name and know that this is more than just a name printed in a bulletin. These are people. These are people who have accepted the call of God in their lives to share the gospel. And so we have the court rights in Germany. And I would encourage you to pray for them. We have the Samoors in Canada. We've known Kai his whole life. He grew up here. We've known the Samoors for over 30 years because we've partnered with them for that long. We also have the, the, the guys in Zambia, Thomas, Rodwell, Wilson. They work at the Namwianga mission in Zambia, and, and God is working through all the different aspects of that mission effort. It's just amazing what God is doing there. And of course, we have Ubaldo and Ismail in Mexico. We have a long-standing relationship with those guys and with Mexico. We have Marco and Heidi in Guatemala. We appreciate the work they're doing. And of course, we have our four teams in Nicaragua. Those teams continue to establish congregations, build those congregations, and then move to other places to establish more congregations. It's amazing how God is working through their efforts there, bringing souls to Christ. And this year, we're so excited to introduce to you seven new missionaries. Seven new missionaries joining our partnership and spreading the gospel. Men and women that we have known some for a long time and certainly serving in places that are close to our hearts. And so watch this video as we introduce these new missionaries to you. God continues to make his appeal to the world through the Edmund Church, and we are excited to announce some new ambassadors of Christ. He is bringing our way to partner in sharing the gospel. Joining one of our missionary teams in Nicaragua, is Marlon and Denise Ubeda. Hello, my name is Marlon. Um, this is my family, my wife, uh, Denise, and my daughters, Camila 
and Isabella. We are the new missionaries in Sebaco, Nicaragua. Thank you for your love and support for our family. God bless you. Bye. The Ubedas joined the Alceros and Eduardo Cisnero in establishing the church in the city of Sabaco. We are also expanding our reach into Cuba with missionaries Michael and Larissa Zamora. After a four-year training program at Baxter University in Honduras, this couple returned to Trinidad, Cuba to target a city ripe for the good news of Jesus. We have a relationship with Haiti through our support of Hope for Haiti's children and previous mission trips by the Pathfinders. We now have missionaries there, Jacob and Vanessa Luisius. Jacob grew up in a Haitian orphanage and has a heart for leading young people to Christ. Bonjour. Bonjour. Et nous Donc, on pense que bon Dieu lui va bénir nous en retour pour support ça. Merci en pile et merci encore. C'était moi, Lizzie Jacob, responsable jeunesse de Blascazo, et avec Madame moi, Vanessa Durosier, qui est là, qui salue nous et nous réjouit en pile pour ça. Merci beaucoup et bye bye. Before she moved back to the U.S., Jana Miller made sure the important work she was a part of at the Haven in Zambia would continue. Stepping in are two incredibly loving and qualified local individuals, Eunice Mukwambe and Michael Sibajane. With the retirement of our longtime missionary, Umberto Hernandez, we are pleased to now partner with Gustavo Garcia, minister at Owasso Road in Alamo, Texas, our home-based congregation for the McAllen mission trip. Hola, ¿qué tal? Mi nombre es Gustavo Garcia, predicador de la Iglesia de Cristo aquí en Alamo. Estamos muy contentos sirviendo al Señor. Agradecidos con ustedes por apoyarnos en esta gran obra. Closer to home, we are supporting Minister Jesus Cervantes and the Spanish-speaking airport congregation in Oklahoma City. The Missions Committee and many others have spent a lot of time in prayer over the last year for new opportunities, and I couldn't be more excited about the ones that God has brought to us. In every case, we have existing connections with these people and these places that go back decades. And I may be most excited about your opportunity to make connections with these incredible people over the coming months and years. It's such a neat thing to be part of the global Christian community. Thank you so much for your prayers and for your support on these Commission Sundays. Thank you. As Neil said, we have connections with most of these places and many of these people that we're bringing on as new missionaries. And I'm inspired by all of their stories, especially the story of Jacob in Haiti. As you saw from the video, at age three, he and his sister were orphaned and they were taken in by a Christian orphanage there. And that experience would, of course, forever change the course of not only his life, but his eternity, as well as the eternities of others, because now Jacob has taken on the mission of sharing the gospel with others, and especially with young people, with children and teenagers. And there's hundreds of youth in that area as a part of that Christian school, as a part of that congregation that he gets to work with every day. If I told you the name of the organization that sponsored the orphanage that he grew up in, you wouldn't be surprised. We have a long relationship with that organization. That organization, the name of it is also, I think, a description of what Jacob is doing now. And of course, that is hope for Haiti's children. He's sharing a message of hope. He's given, giving a, an answer to anyone who asks for the reason that he has hope. And he grew up in what would most of us would consider a hopeless situation, a desperate situation, and yet he found hope because he found Christ. You see, that's his story, but it's all of our stories. All of us were hopeless. 
we are hopeless apart from Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we have salvation and forgiveness. It is through him because he lived and died and was risen from the grave. That he ascended to heaven. He has authority over everything. And he is coming back and he is taking us to be with God for eternity. That's why we have hope. And that's the message God calls us to share with the world. Watch this video. Our world is lost. Lost in the confusion and chaos. Lost in the struggle of sin. Lost in the darkness. But the darkness doesn't get the last word. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We have light. We have hope. Let's walk in the light. Let's share the hope. Let's tell the world. And there's our verse, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. You know, Commission Sunday is a great opportunity for us to unite around a common mission, a common purpose. And we're all different. We have different backgrounds, different stories, different perspectives, different opinions, different life experiences. And yet we are drawn together by our common faith and our common purpose and mission to make disciples. It is our calling. It is our purpose in life. And I hope that you are a part of that. I hope that you are seeing what God is doing through this congregation and you want to be a part of that. So continue to pray. And if you haven't given today, please give sacrificially. You know, these funds on this Commission Sunday and the two others to come this year, they go directly toward mission work. We support those missionaries that you just heard from through the funds given on these three Sundays. So I hope that you'll give sacrificially. And I will say, if you're a guest, if you're a visitor today, we don't expect you to participate by giving necessarily. We do ask that you pray. Please join us in praying for these men and women and pray that God would continue to advance the kingdom of God in this world and use us to do that. But we also would say, maybe you got a little glimpse of our heart today. You got to see a little bit behind the curtain. You got to see what we value, what we treasure, what is so important to us. We value missions here. In fact, every year we spend around a half a million dollars. Now, I say the word spend. I don't think that's a good word. I think a better word is invest. We invest a half a million dollars every year in spreading the gospel. We want you to be a part of that. Let me offer a prayer over our offering that God would use that to do great things in this world. And thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you for participating and partnering with what God is doing we give him all the glory and all the praise. Let's join together and pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the men and women that we just heard from and heard about. God, we know that they are in the world, all places, many different places, Father, and that you're using them to, to do great things. And we're thankful just to have a small part to play in that process. God, we pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would let your spirit pour out over the communities they serve, the, the kids, the families, the men, the women, uh, Father, those who are struggling, those who are doing well, whatever the case may be, Father, we pray that hope would pour from their lives, that people would see that they are different and that they would ask them 
What makes you different? And Father, when they're asked, and even sometimes when they're not asked, that on their lips and on their heart and on their mind would be Jesus. Father, that's all of our prayer. Prayer for all of us, that we would speak of Jesus, that he would be in the forefront of our hearts and our minds and our words. Father, that he would have a place of prominence, that we would set apart Christ as Lord. So Father, empower us with courage and faith and strength to speak boldly, but also to speak with gentleness and respect. Thank you for the opportunities you give us, Father. We pray your blessings over this offering. We pray that every penny that is surrendered will be used to advance the kingdom, to spread the gospel, to make disciples. We give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name, amen. You know, Peter's words weren't just to missionaries or ministers. They were to common Christians, if you could use that word, common Christians. But see, Christians aren't supposed to be common. We're supposed to be different. We're called out. Remember our passage at the very beginning, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is it time for you to think differently? Is it time for you to have your mind renewed by God? Is it time for you to replace the doubt, the fear, the confusion, the pain, the suffering with hope? And anchor your soul in a hope that will sustain you through the difficult times of life. Because taking up your cross and following Jesus is not an easy life, but it is the life you were created to live. Well, you live with hope. You see, when you live with hope, you are different. And when you speak of your hope, you make a difference. Make a difference this week. If we can help you, encourage you, pray for you, please let us do that. In just a moment, when we stand up, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a room right over here, off this hallway. You can make your way out those doors, go there. They will encourage you, pray for you. Feel free to do that. Take advantage of that opportunity. You can come down to the front. We'll surround you and pray for you as well. Or maybe today you're ready to have the hope that we read about, the hope that we talked about, the hope that comes only in knowing Christ and setting him apart as Lord. Maybe today you're ready to give your life to him, to be baptized into Christ. We would love to celebrate with you. If there's something we can do for you today, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.